good afternoon. You're on the panel on RNZ National. Happy Friday. Uh, Nikki from Ambience Plants says, I have a plant business in Wellington and think a water uh, meter is a good idea. It makes us think about our usage. So water meter, yes or no, 2101 in Wellington, that uh, before 4.30. A word on this, though, the Port Hills fire continues for a third day. Evacuations have been taking place. Some people have been allowed to return home, but 33 properties are still not accessible. The Fata Order has issued a public health warning for smoke from the fire, saying it can worsen pre-existing health conditions like heart and lung disease. With us, Dr James Fingleton, Medical Director at the Asthma and Respiratory Foundation NZ. Dr Fingleton, kia ora. Kia ora. Yeah, some of this, uh, some of this uh, smoke can be fairly thick in places, can't it? What can people do to keep themselves uh, safe from smoke? first thing to do is to try and minimize exposure um so if you're in an area where there's um, smoke outside see if you can reduce the amount it comes into the house by closing windows closing doors and if you're outside uh, if you can use a highly effective mask such as the n95 masks that people may have come across um, with covid but also use to protect yourself from dust when you're doing diy those can reduce your exposure to the smoke particulates and make you less likely to have your lungs flare okay what what are the risks associated with breathing in smoke? Well, we know that people who are exposed to smoke have got higher rates of um, attacks for asthma and COPD, smoking-related lung disease, um, and that it's also associated with higher rates of heart attacks and other problems. All right, so some good uh, bit of advice there. Close uh, windows and doors. Uh, wear uh, an N95 mask if you need to go outside. Where can people go for help uh, if they have been affected? If people have been affected, if you've got, say, you've got asthma and um, your breathing has been affected, start by using the medication, your regular medications. Make sure you're taking your regular preventers and use your reliever, but seek help either from your local practice or from the ED, depending on how unwell you're feeling, if it does affect you. Oh, very good to have you on. Dr. Danes, for good to there from the Asthma and Respiratory Foundation NZ. There'll be more around 4.30 actually on the Port Hills uh, fire. We'll keep you updated. Uh, to this on the panel with Georgie Stiliano and Johnny O'Donnell. At least 12,000 people have, been, have had personal information released in last year's leak of Tefata Order COVID-19 data. After the data breach came to light in December, uh, Tefata Order Health NZ initially said there was a chance a small number of people had been identified. That's climbed to 12,000, possibly more. A former employee of the agency, Barry Young, is facing court charges over the leak. Health NZ uh, says it's begun notifying those affected. The names were posted, um, not other details uh, of the people, however. Kate Hanna is the director and founder of the Disinformation Project Kate, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Pretty upsetting to know that your details might well be downloaded onto a US-based website. Yeah, look, it's really upsetting, and particularly that the subset that we know have been published or made available on this US-based website are people who are working as vaccinators. Uh, and so people who were working to help protect Aotearoa um, during the time that we were uniting against COVID-19. Uh, I think it shows a really clear issue that we have in Aotearoa around 
cybersecurity. And that is that we don't necessarily view it as a whole of society problem. It's kind of seen as an IT problem. <laughs> and mm. that's one of the reasons why um, Young was able to do what he did. Yeah. Or alleged to have done. Yes, indeed. Yeah, would surveillance need to be ongoing? There's still a few unknowns here. I mean, so this won't venture out onto the dark web further. Well, yeah, look, one of the things is that um, Tifato Order have already confirmed that up to 12,000 New Zealanders outside this group of vaccinators, so New Zealanders who received the vaccine, uh, their data is also part of this data breach. And they seem to have confirmed today that they do believe that it would be possible with some technical skill to re-identify people from the data that is available in that data breach, which suggests that something like NHI numbers is available so that there would be a, a, it would be possible to re-identify people. That's why they're now making contact with those 12,000 or perhaps more who are part of this data breach. Right. This is going to have long-term effects. It's going to take a while to mop up. Mm, let's bring our panel. Georgie, what do you make of this? Well, I think, you know, Kate, you sort of just alluded to this. We're so on the back foot when it comes to this stuff. I mean, I think last year it was the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. They started off this work stream around critical infrastructure. And for the first time, it wasn't just talking about telecommunications and water. There was a really big emphasis on the cybersecurity space. But we're coming at it um, a little bit slow to the, to, to the game. But I'm, I mean, I suppose my question to you would be, is this a funding issue? Is it, is it a people issue, like a capability issue? Or is it that we're, is it an ignorance issue? <laughs> Kia ora, Georgie. I think it's sadly a little bit of all three of those things. Um, we do have this tendency in Aotearoa to go, oh, well, we're really far away from everywhere. The big guys, the big criminals, the big countries, mm. they're not really interested in us. So we can just muddle along doing our high trust society stuff as we've always done and that just simply isn't the case anymore and this is a really clear example of that you know um, the alleged leaker he touted this data around New Zealand's disinformation communities didn't have that much success and took it outside the country to mm. the US um, and so that kind of um, eye of Sauron turning towards us <laughs> means that we do have to think about capability, and that's capability beyond, as I said before, beyond just IT, mm. the human capability of um, people to think about where risk might lie and who is more likely to be targeted. Johnny. Look, first of all, um, Kate, thank you for the work that you do. I'm a huge fan of the um, disinformation uh, project and, and really value the, the work and the resources that you've put together. I guess I've got a, a slightly different take on this. I, I, I don't um, disagree with anything that's been expressed um, so far, but I tend to look at these situations and worry that we overcorrect. We're talking here about one bad actor and a very serious breach. But we do seem to have a tendency to then tighten the screws, you know, and I'm, I guess I'm worried about the extent to which we do that, which then makes it harder to operate for the public service. And that's actually already quite difficult in things like the health system. Interestingly, that this is coming through as a reflection or a lesson from us from COVID. But we also learned during COVID about the importance of having a really agile and responsive system and the connection between the public health data that we've got and community agencies, iwi hapu groups, Māori health providers, etc. And so I guess I'm concerned that we'd lose sight of the need for that system to be responsive and quite easy to administer as well. You can never eliminate all of the risk. It just tends to make operating much more heavier for those on the ground trying to do the work. 
Okay. Oh, kia ora, Johnny, and thank you so much for your kind words. It's really nice to hear that, the, the circumstances that we operate in. Completely topoco what you've just said around the need to not overcorrect. And I think that comes back to what I said earlier when I was talking to, when Wallace was speaking to me, around a whole of society understanding mm. of cyber security, and that's kind of the bit that I think we really need to sit down together um, at each other's tables in lots of different places and talk about what we value and, and how we balance that trade-off between ensuring privacy and data security and also data sovereignty um, mm. as Aotearoa alongside our need to be able to be, as you say, transparent, nimble, adaptable and make sure that that health, particularly that health data, does get to those providers who are actually on the ground. And what we haven't had is that kind of conversation space for lots of different reasons and that's the bit that I'm, I'm less interested in us um, quickly pivoting to have more stringent laws but actually thinking about what it is that we value. Okay so next next steps for uh, Te order on this they're going to be notifying everyone affected what are the next steps here? Well, I think it's really important for Te Whatu Ora and those who are contacted to have a sense of perspective of what the risk is. So those whose names have been released, um, the vaccinators, there is, that's quite a high risk. People can go and use other sources to go and um, find where they live, uh, that sort of thing. The, the level of risk for ordinary New Zealanders whose names are de-aggregatable, but it would be quite difficult and technical to do so, right. is less so. Uh, and we kind of need to keep that in perspective. It would also probably take people with um, local expertise. It would take people who were familiar with, um, for example, the stats IDI to be able to do the mahi to actually recreate the names. So I would hope that all of that community who are signed up to Statistics New Zealand's ethics process um, wouldn't do that work. I'm sure there will be more on this next week for now. Kate, kia ora. Nice to have you on the programme. Yeah, uh, That's uh, Kate Hanna, Director and Founder of the Disinformation Project. It's 18 past four, the panel. We have this Friday afternoon Johnny O'Donnell and uh, Georgie Stiliano with me today. Georgie Wellington, uh, Johnny and Nelson. To this, a mammoth six-and-a-half-hour meeting in Wellington yesterday with Wellington City Councilors discussing how to free up funds for the broken water network set to cost more than $1 billion. They've agreed to cut funding for the Kandala Pool, reduce the budget for the graffiti management and stop the annual firework display. A rates rise of 15.4% also possibly tabled and controversially bringing in Water meters. Carpety Coast introduced them, what, 10 years ago, prompting huge protests at the time. Wellington residents can have their say when consultation opened, uh, opens rather on April the 12th. Bringing in Warwick Taylor. He's from the, well, he's the chair of the Wellington Residents Coalition. Warwick, nice to have you here. Kia ora, um, Wallace. Um, I've actually just resigned from being the chair of... Uh, at a meeting a couple of weeks ago, I, I wanted a bit of uh, take a step back a little bit, but I'm still very actively involved in Good the coalition. Fair point. Okay, so a lot to discuss in Wellington right now, Warwick. Firstly, the big one, the big one. Where do you stand on water meters? We are absolutely opposed to water meters, uh, as we have been since our uh, formation in 1997. 
for a number of reasons. Uh, there are equity concerns. What, what about uh, bigger families, um, low-income people, etc.? One of our biggest fears, though, is this will lead to the commercialisation of water, which has sort of happened in Auckland, uh, um, and even worse in Papakura, former Papakura district of Auckland. Uh, we know that there has been an agenda within some people of Wellington to uh, corporatise the water system since 1997, and we've we've res resisted several attempts to do that. Um, but unfortunately, we we, we didn't yeah. stop the formation of Wellington Water and its predecessor capacity. And with the um, advent of the legislative changes, it may be that Wellington Water then becomes the owner of the asset. At the moment, it just okay. uh, manages the assets. Uh, I'm going to put it out to the listeners, uh, not just in uh, Wellington, but around the country. Uh, water meters, yes or no, text me to one. Zero one. Now, as you well know, Warwick, um, Carpety Council introduced some, what, 10 years ago at great controversy. In fact, uh, then-Mayor Ginny Rowe and her job, it was extraordinary pressure. But get yes. this, the impact was immediate. Staff detected 443 leaks, and that led to a 90% drop in water lost that way. You guys have an unbelievable um, leak system and here you are you've got a solution and you're going hard well, against it's, it. It's not uh, the only solution to, for finding leaks. Firstly, it's the best cup, one. Cup, no it's not. Cupity for, for a start was the, um, the most of them were private leaks most of the leaks here are probably public leaks. There are a, a number of ways you can measure water with, without having a metre in every uh, at every gate, uh, that would be by um, you can actually turn the taps off and listen to see if there's uh, water old running school. out. That's old school. That's old school. That's old school. Old school. Hey, it's old school. This is going to cost people hundreds of dollars each uh, to install, plus the charge. Now, the idea isn't just to measure the water; it's to actually charge for it. And right. that's the thin edge of the wedge. Warwick, you stay there. Let's bring our panel. Georgie, you're Wellington-based. I am. In. Well, I think this is the best solution. It, it's probably an imperfect one. Warwick, I, I share your concerns regarding um, equity. Yes. I think we have to move into this user-pays model um, because the money unfortunately, is not growing on trees. Um, and I'd rather this than the proposal to reduce library hours and swimming pool hours, well, it, which is yeah, primitive. Well, well, actually, it's it's not an either-or. We would oppose those too. Um, rates is the fairest way of doing, of, of, of funding public services. And uh, the thing is, the rating burden has moved from the commercial sector to the private, to the to the residential sector over the last 30 years from 30% residential to now 50% residential. The other thing is uh, that we had proposed to the council last year that they consider charging... If, if residential landlords are charging commercial prices for their rent per foot, they should also be charging... Resident, uh, commercial rates. 
All right. Hey, That's now, one selection. Warwick, uh, so Georgie is a supporter of water meters. In, yes. is, am I saying that right, Georgie? You would support as well, Antonia, yeah. an introduction. Okay, Warwick here, dead against it. Johnny, what, what do they do in Nelson? We do have water meters in Nelson. I'm trying to recall. I think that we're on a fixed charge uh, for the water meters, but it does. But there are water meters installed in the home so that they can track that. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm, I think I'm a little bit confused by your argument, Warwick, and I just want to clarify. You're, you're talking about fairness, and I've read some of your material. Would it not? Am I not right in thinking that the fairness around water take? I mean, if you've got houses with pools, for example, or extravagant gardens. Is it not fairer that they're paying more for a well, higher water um, take? We've done some working. We've calculated a, the thing about pools. A, a well-managed pool should only need to be changed three uh, every once every three to five years, apparently. Um, and effectively, the the rate um, on the water, the the value of the property added by a pool, um, is actually. Uh, the, the rates derived from that would be greater than charging for the use of the water to fill that pool. What, what, sorry for jumping in, but what about the sort of behavioural change that, that water meters might, might encourage? You know, people turning the tap off when they're brushing their teeth. So. Yeah, yeah, well, why don't we get the council to, instead of spending uh, hundreds of millions of dollars on water meters... Um, spend it on well, it's not hundreds of millions. That's, no. that's, that's, let's just take, take that off first. We're getting a lot of Aucklanders, um, uh, and what I've got to say, just saying, yes. um, get over yourself. <laughs> because you're well, going to have to pay for water one way or another. Yeah, well, as I say, we Je- believe it's fairer that the, 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 the property owners, it's about the, the, the transfer of wealth. It's going to be the, the poor people, the tenants being paid more, are being going to all of a sudden have an extra bill. Well, it's 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 a bill that you can see. That's the thing. That's the point of it, Warwick. For example, I yep. get a monthly bill, right? And I see right in front of my eyes what I get charged for my water. So we say, how can we, uh, how can we better ourselves that month? And you do it, and that's what Aucklanders do. That's the point of volumetric charging. You, it's willy-nilly. You wouldn't know. Yeah, well, you wait till um, the same thing will happen to water as has happened with electricity, and we all know what's happened there. Final point, Johnny? I was just going to ask Warwick, actually, if this is if this is about fairness, and I, and I hear what you're saying about yes. um, about low income households. So, on yes. that basis, would you support water meters if there was a an equal provision of free water out to those houses, well, and it was I've, just the yeah. additional take for things like pools and extravagant gardens that was levied? Well, that sounds fair, but um, we've we've thought about that, and it's the, the the fear is that that will be how things start. Uh, 10 or 20 years' time, uh, then it's, it's just with a stroke of the pen that can be changed. Okay, very good. All right there, very good oh, to have you on, oh, Thank you for your time. It's a pleasure. That's Warwick Taylor there, Wellington Residents Coalition. Not so convinced by his arguments, Georgie? I think I'm not so convinced that anyone has a pool in Wellington. Has anyone been here? It's freezing. Um, Yeah, I'm not not convinced by that. I feel like this is a conversation that we've just been having in in slow motion for for so many years. I think at some point someone's got to have some courage and just do it. Okay, yeah, look, needless to say, huge response. Caroline says, I'm from Cambridge. I got a $500 water bill, a huge leak under a courtyard. I would never have found it 
without a water meter. It's a no-brainer. But needless to say, um, there are many people on Warwick's side because uh, in the final instance, a user-pays model for water is very uh, controversial. Uh, keep those thoughts coming. Two, one, zero, one. You can email me too, the panel at rnz.co.nz. Just a quick word on this. Sociologists have given it a name. It's called LAT, or Living Apart, Together. And it's just been given some serious celebrity endorsement. Brian Cox, what a great actor, from Succession said, want to know the secret to a good marriage? Separate bedrooms. Is he right? Is there something there? Brian is married to Gillian Anderson of X-Files fame. Uh, And I just wanted to go around the panel on this. Here's a text. It's an old British thing, separate beds. My grandparents did it through my whole childhood. I think it was because my granddad's snoring shook the house. Where, is, is there something here, Georgie, that you can be together when you want to be, you can be apart when you want to have your lamp on mm. a little bit longer? I get it. And if Brian Cox is telling us to do that, then we should all listen. <laughs> um, I think there's this weird stigma attached to it. Like if you meet a couple and they're like, we've got separate rooms, people behind their back are like, oh, they must be on the brink. Um, but I, I think it's great. And if anyone's been watching Married at First Sight, there's a wonderful contestant on there who, yeah. when she was asked what her main um, concern about entering the experiment was, she said sh- sharing a bathroom. And really? so I think separate bedrooms, separate bathrooms. Yeah, yeah. a psychotherapist, Lucy Burrisford, says that successful LAT couples living apart together sh- achieve a balance between independence and emotional commitment. Um, so there's something in it for Georgie. Johnny, what about you? Well, my, my partner often jokes about how I, I get a bit excited when we arrive at a hotel and they uh, happen to have twin beds so that I've got, I've got the option if I want a little bit more space. But on, on the way out of the house on the way to the studio today, I actually I said, oh, we're having a, um, a chat about separate bedrooms and I got a very loud no uh, back. So I've got, <laughs> it doesn't really, I think at this point it doesn't really matter what my view is, although I am uh, quite susceptible to the opinions of Brian Cox as a, as a big succession oh, fan. I've right? got a huge poster of Brian on the wall of my office actually with one of his more famous lines that I, I can't repeat on radio. Well, I had the pleasure, the absolute pleasure of interviewing Brian Cox when I was doing Sunday Morning on RNZ and that's when he was doing the lead uh, 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 as Winston Churchill in a film about five years ago and he was absolutely fantastic there. Um, keep your uh, thoughts coming. Uh, do you think there is something in separate bedrooms? Meanwhile, it's all about water meters uh, on feedback so you can text me 2101 you can email the panel at Botox Cosmetic out of botulinum toxin A FDA approved for over 20 years so talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you for full prescribing information including boxed warning visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.